Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning. If you're new to our church, if you're visiting for the first time, my name is Dave, and I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here, and I want to welcome you. I know that Thanksgiving is still a few days away on Thursday, but um, I just hung out in California for the past week with a bunch of people, um, half of them were from Canada, and they were just telling me about Canadian Thanksgiving, even though they actually have a day, nobody in Canada treats Thanksgiving like a day, they kind of treat it as a season, a weekend, a whole period where everybody gets away from work, hangs out with the people they love, and they eat, watch a lot of football, and just hang out and rest. And I I like the idea that Thanksgiving doesn't just need to be a particular day, uh, but a whole season. I I think Canadians have it right when it comes to that. And I hope that this week you'll have a chance to get away from the usual work and rest, pause, and reflect on your life and be with the people that you love. You know, one of the reasons that we um, mark holidays, that we observe special days like that, what do you think? Why, why do we do it? Why do we bother with birthdays? You know, I just saw my daughter Zoe had written a school assignment, and on it she had a reflective question. She wrote the question, is my birthday a holiday? Like, if you know Zoe at all, um, Zoe is very uh, fond of her own birthday, and she anticipates it for 364 days leading up from the last birthday to the next one. But why do we do that? Why do we pick a day and we make it special? I think part of the reason we do that is because um, it's, a, it's an occasion for us to remember something that's always true, but leaks out of our minds. It's an occasion to realize, for example, on our birthdays, yeah, you get a year older, but you've been getting a year older steadily for the whole year. But on that day of your birthday, you remember life doesn't last forever down here. That we have a finite number of days before we'll go home. And that each one of those days is a gift. Every year of our lives is meant to be a landmark where we consider whether we grow or not. And so we mark days like that because they remind us. There are occasions to pause and to reflect and remember things which are easy to forget, but that we should never forget because it's dangerous for us to lose sight of those things. And so on Thanksgiving, we do exactly what the name of the holiday suggests. We pause to give thanks. And I can't think of a better passage to turn to when it comes to Thanksgiving than Psalm 100. And I I just want to, um, if you could flip on the slides, guys. Thank you. And I I just want to show you this passage. Here's what it says. A psalm for giving thanks. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. and Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his people. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. You know, and I've just been thinking a lot because if you look back here, it says at the very beginning, I, I don't know if you realize, but sometimes there's a verse zero. It's just the title, the subtitle they give to a particular passage. 
And it says that this psalm is labeled a psalm for giving thanks. And I think that's a very important word choice because there is actually a pretty big difference between simply being thankful and giving thanks. It's not just a play on words, but if you really think about it, being thankful is an emotion. It doesn't require any object. It doesn't, all it means is, man, I am so full of a good and positive feeling because of my great fortune. Isn't that true? So, for example, um, if, you're trying, if you're late for an appointment and you're driving a car really fast and it's like an important job interview and every single traffic light on the way to that appointment is green, when you get there and you find a perfect parking spot right in front of the building and you're sitting there in the car about to go in and you feel something, it doesn't matter if you're religious or not. It doesn't matter if you believe in God or not. At that moment of good fortune, every human being feels something. They feel blessed, they feel touched, they feel good and positive, and we call that, as a human emotion, thankfulness. I am full of some good feeling which we call thanks. But if you really think about it, that's an odd thing. That's like being full of lovefulness, right? There are certain feelings that are not meaningful when they're just all by yourself, because those feelings have only find their, their real meaning when they are reflected against another person. For example, I don't know if you can just be full of love. I'm so full of lovefulness because it doesn't make any sense. Who do you love? What do you love? Love has an object, doesn't it? You can't just say, man, guys, I, I just so love. If somebody said that to you grammatically, you go, finish the sentence. What do you love? Who do you, no, no, I just, I love. I love every, I just love. And it doesn't make it, it's the same way with thanks. Who are you thankful, who are you thankful to? When something good happens, that feeling isn't just about, yeah, I rule. I'm awesome. I'm the, it, it reminds us that there is somebody to whom we owe our gratitude in the light of this blessing. And I think that's why there's such a big difference between just being thankful and giving thanks. Now, also, if you have children, you also know this. Most of the time that we say the words thank you, we say it in response to something done for us or to us, don't we? Right? I mean, most of the time we say thank you because, oh, somebody held the door for us or they gave us a birthday gift or invited us to their home. And we say thank you in response to something done for us. We rarely are proactively saying thank you to people. You know, we don't, it's rare that, that you come up to someone and say, hey, thank you. Why? You know, just for being alive. Thank you for being you. We don't do that because usually thankfulness is triggered by something good that happens to us or is given to us. But what it says here and throughout the scriptures, uh, it's the the phrase give thanks is found at least 59 times throughout the Bible. And in all of those cases, almost all, it is related to giving thanks to God. It seems as though our giving thanks to God is not just a natural response to good things God does, but it is a, a command. It is a choice we make in the way that we live our lives to look for reasons to be grateful, to acknowledge that God is the giver of all things. And so this idea of thanksgiving isn't just let's count all the good stuff God has done and then catalog them and thank him for each one, but it is to reorient our entire posture around relating to God 
on the basis of thankfulness and gratitude. Now, that's important because many of us know somebody who is never grateful, who is never satisfied. They never cease of complaining because their whole lives are defined by feeling that they are owed more than this, that they are entitled to better than this. And so because the world, God, their spouse has not delivered to them everything they feel they deserve, they can't get past that. And as a result, I will be thankful when I finally get everything I am owed, right? Do you know anyone like that? Don't point to them, okay? But if they're in this room, don't go pointing to them. But do you know anybody with that tendency? And if you know them well, what you realize is while they're holding out their gratitude, while they're waiting, reserving it until everything good happens, it's poisoning their heart because they are incapable now of experiencing the joy of life. They will feel joyful only when everything in their circumstances lines up in their favor. And until then, I will hold my gratitude like a hostage with a bag over its head and a gunpoint. I will never be thankful until I get everything. And do you realize the toxicity to that person's heart, to their soul when they live like that? Gratitude is so important for our well-being too. It doesn't just make God happy to hear us acknowledge him. But when we find gratitude in our hearts, it's good for us as well. It allows us to stop living life chasing something like unfinished business and to receive everything each day brings as a gift in itself. It also says in this passage, if you look at it here, um, let me go one more here that we're meant to to express our thanksgiving to God with gladness, with shouts, and with joyful songs. I think what that means is God is not just looking for some grudging admission. All right, fine. I admit it. Okay. I got my own job by interviewing well and studying hard. But yeah, God, I guess, created the economy and gave me this job and all that. So he's not looking for some grudging admission that, yeah, I didn't make my own goodness and my own life. But what he's saying is really think about how much God is responsible for doing in your life. Don't just grudgingly acknowledge that you are not God, that you've, but, but to really think about it until, the, because I think what it's suggesting is this, the kind of gratitude which pleases God's heart, which is good for our soul, is not grudging admission, but it is an exuberant, emotional, heartfelt gratitude. And you know, you know the difference between like real gratitude and sort of like, you know, when you give somebody a gift and they're like, thank you. It's not really what you know, like when you give children clothes for their birthdays when they're like younger than nine and you spend a lot of money on designer clothes and you give it to them. You think, oh, you're going to be so cute in that outfit. And they open it and they go, oh, clothes. Thank you. And they're saying thank you because their parents are going to spank them if they don't show gratitude. But then you get this kid like the ultimate um, Googleplex of Legos. It's, you build New York City in, in miniature. And they look at it and you see it. They're like about to have a, a, a seizure. And, and then they look at you and go, thank you. It's because they realize what you've just done for them. And it's not just like, it's as if the words can't do justice to the feeling. Do you ever see that in a kid's face? That's a wonderful feeling to see. That's the kind of gratitude God is looking to produce in us. And it's always there if we will acknowledge it and reflect. And it's that kind of gratitude which I think should form the basis for the relationship we have with God. So if that's the nature of the gratitude we owe to God, how do we cultivate that? 
How do you get to a place where you're that thankful genuinely? I think this psalm contains a few suggestions. Let me run through them quickly with you. I think they'll be practically helpful for freaking out. Because how do you do it without being a good actor? I mean, some kids are really good actors. I've seen kids get emotional over clothes, and I know they ain't that happy. Right? So like, there are kids who really know how to make you feel something, even though they don't feel it. But we don't want to be those kind of people. So rather than faking it, how do we attain to a real and genuine heartfelt gratitude in our lives? Well, one of the ways we do that is that we start by acknowledging that we're God's people. Now, that's not immediately evident what that has to do with gratitude, but let me unpack it just a little bit. Look at verse 3. It says, know that the Lord is God. That's a good place to start. I really think this is at the heart of why some people struggle so much with gratitude is that ever since they became Christians, nobody helped them get to a place where they accepted that God is over all things. He is the supreme authority, the sovereign one who owes no answers to anyone. He is at the head of the class, the top of the food chain. God is God. And because we have a hard time accepting that, the truth is we say that God is God. But the way we actually live with him, we negotiate as though God is actually one of our servants. Now, I know we would never quite put it that that crassly, but we negotiate with God a lot. And when God doesn't do his part, we feel that we, we are owed some answers. We talk to God as though he should defend himself. And we demand explanation and justice for the, the circumstances of our lives. And I think the reason some people wrestle so much with gratitude is because they feel like, doggone it, God owes me better than this. The portion, the path that my life has had is not acceptable to me. I don't like what I got. I don't like where I'm headed. I don't like the stuff in my inventory compared to the stuff in someone else's inventory. And so I just feel like I can't accept. You know, I got to tell you, you know how many years I struggled with my lack of height? I was always the shortest in my class, or at least the second shortest. I was always happy when the, the other short kid, like, you midget, you know. I, I just loved it because at least I wasn't the shortest. But 90% of the classes I was in, this, this group I just mentored, I was like the short. Every time we did a group picture, I looked like their kid. There's all these six foot two, six foot five. One of them was an ex-pro football player. I'm sitting here, like, in the picture, trying to do this shoulder to shoulder. I'm like, like this. And I just had the hardest time accepting, why was I born with this stature? I feel like a big man in my heart and in my mind. But every time I stand in front of the mirror, I go, oh, man, there it is again. And I couldn't accept it. Do you know what I'm talking about? The failure to accept what God has assigned to us is the starting point of this decay in the heart that tells God, you owe me something and you owe me answers for why I don't have that something. And that's why David understood that the root of gratitude is acknowledgement that God is God. And that the portion I've been assigned and the path my life has taken is part of God's sovereign plan for my life. It's also possible that sometimes my sin takes me on a path that it shouldn't, but even then God is not absent in that. He will use even the suffering and loss of my rebellion to bring me back to him if I will let him. So the beginning of gratitude is this, to acknowledge that God is God and I belong to him. He made me, it says, right? He made me, I'm sorry. 
and I am his people. I am his person. I am one of his sheep. I belong to him. That that has two implications. I think one is there is an owner over me. You know how we often say to people, you're not the boss of me. Well, there is one being who that will always be true. You can't look at God and go, you're not the boss of me. Because <laughs> you want to bet I am? I, I am the boss of you. I'm the boss of everything. That is, in fact, the definition of what God means. I think in America, we have lost the concept of God. We have, like, a, a big dude. But God is, is a concept that I think is really hard to grasp in an American reality. Because really, who do you know in your life who has unquestioned all-powerful authority over you? Even a president doesn't. You, you can't go to the White House and then sort of like um, fart in the elevator and the president goes off with his head and the Secret Service won't kill you. He doesn't have that kind of authority. Even our highest leader in America works for us. We can impeach him. We can kick him out. That's an amazing concept in terms of democracy, but it doesn't help us understand our relationship with God very well, does it? I think people who grew up in a monarchy have an easier time grasping the idea of what a God should be. And it's important for us to just acknowledge, God, you are in control, and I know that not everything in my life unfolded the way I'd hoped or planned, but the beginning of our relationship is this. You are God, and you know what you're doing, and the portion and the path my life have taken. Well, that's something happening right under your face. And you are present in it, and I accept my life. Can I encourage you that maybe this is the first thing that will unlock real gratitude in your heart? Is pause for a moment. And that doesn't mean don't try for anything more or better, but pause today and really consider, have I accepted my life? That this is the body God gave me, and the family, and the marriage, and the bank account, and the career and the IQ, and on and on, the gender. There are so many things we have to learn to accept about ourselves. And in doing that, ultimately, what we're doing is accepting God as God. And the beauty is because we are his people, not just citizens in his administration, when we do ask for things and we do ask for answers, he answers us not as the complaint department of a corporation that owes us satisfaction, but he answers us as a father would answer his children. He instructs us. He provides for us because we are his people. I think the second way that we're going to grow in genuine gratitude is that we would acknowledge that the church is God's house. Once again, let me unpack that a little bit because it may not be immediately clear to you what that has to do with gratitude. Look at what verse 4 says. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Now, we know that the church is not a building, but also in a real sense, we meet in a building because we for a day proclaim that this is God's house. We are God's family. But for this day, we believe that this high school facility has become the dwelling place, the house of God, a physical structure in which God's presence and love and power fill this place in and through us. Do you get that? So this is God's house. And I want to ask you, um, how do you enter God's house each week? How do you enter God's house in your personal devotion each morning? You know, ever since Jean and I, we bought a new home, 
We've had a lot of people over. If you haven't been over yet, you will be soon. We're working through the entire um, northwestern suburbs, apparently. We have fed and entertained hundreds of people. And here's the thing we've heard over and over is the, the, the words, thank you for having us. And, and they've been really heartfelt, meaningful words. I don't think people are just saying it as a courtesy. We enjoy some wonderful times. And as people, usually the thank you for having us is more meaningful as they're going than when they're coming. Uh, when you're coming, it's more like permission to come aboard, like when you, enter, when you board a boat. But when people are leaving, they're saying, wow, this was a wonderful evening. You've really gone out of your way to cook a good meal, and we've had wonderful conversation. Thank you for the gift of this time spent in your house as a guest. And as they say those words, thank you, it occurs to me, that is the right way to enter a person's home when they've invited you as a guest and opened the doors. And along with the open doors comes an open heart, comes a a desire to bring you into the place where they live and where they find safety. We've said those same words to a lot of people when we've been guests in their home. And it's occurred to me, I wonder if that marks the way we prepare Sunday morning to enter God's house. I know there's a lot of reasons we come to church. Probably first on that list is the world-class preaching and to grow in Christ under such a good preacher. But, you know, I know that's not the only reason we come here, right? I say those things because I'm insecure and I, I, I just need you to affirm me. But, you know, why else do we go to church? To see one another, to laugh together, to eat together, to watch the game after service together. The the together is good. There's a lot of good reasons we come to church, but one of the things that should mark our heart's preparation and our posture as we come here each week is to pause and be ready to say to God, thank you for allowing me to come into your home, to be a part of your family. And remember, we're not coming to this house as a guest, but the amazing thing about the scriptures is that the Bible tells us we are not coming as house guests of God, But when we are in Christ, we come here as family members, as his children coming to our father's house. I don't live with my parents anymore, but there's something wonderful about going back to my mom and dad's house. It is one of the most inviting physical buildings I know on the planet. When I go there, immediately when I start driving down the street, my heart feels at peace in the deepest, most profound way. It's the house where I grew up. It's the place where my parents nurtured me, brought me to the Lord in a powerful way. It is a place that I consider sanctuary. And though it's not my house, I still have a key. I'm welcomed in any time I want. And I can go in there freely. I can eat whatever I well please in the pantry or the fridge. I don't need to ask permission. I'm not like, "Uh, Mother, could I have some of your almonds? I don't sit there and wait for them. I'm just like, oh, these are all good almonds. Can I take the whole bag home? And can you give me some money for the room? You know, because, you know why? Because that's my house too. It's my parents' house, my father's house, but it's my house too because I'm his kid. I, I'm his father. I, he's my father because of birth, but we are God's children for only one reason. It's that Jesus Christ made it possible for us to be the sons and daughters of God. So when we come here, even on your worst day, there is reason to be grateful because just walking through the doors into your father's house says something loud and clear about our status and our condition. That on your worst day, this is still your father. And he has a house and a family and you are always welcome here. 
You can come broken and bruised, disappointed, sick of yourself. A failure. But this will still be your father's house. And in fact, where do you go when you screw up, when you are vice president or whatever, and then you work for Enron and you lied about everything, and you're, you get out of jail, where do you go when you're homeless, broke, hungry? If you're blessed with a family, you go to your father's house, don't you? At least I know that I'll get a roof there, a meal there. We hope. Well, maybe your earthly father doesn't open himself that way to you. But on your worst day ever, on any day, your heavenly father will always welcome you in. And he will do it because Jesus made it possible for you to call him not God, but father. This is his house. We are his family. And just coming here on Sunday is a gift. And on your worst day, you can still be thankful because that one simple truth will always be there, won't it? This is your father's house, and it's safe here. It's a place to run when you've got nowhere else to run. Can I give you one last thing out of this psalm, out of verse 5, that really touched me in a deep way? And it's that we acknowledge that goodness and love are part of God's nature. They are not occasional ways he shows himself to us, but they are at the root of what makes God him. Right? My wife and I were just laughing because we had a massive sleepover party at our house yesterday. I think we had like 80 kids sleep over at our house. At least it sounded like it. We just noticed what a difference there is between girls and boys. You can't program. It's just hardwired. The girls, all orderly, they've gotten their rows. They lay down, and after a little bit of giggling and stuff, all asleep at a very reasonable hour. The boys, 2 a.m., I hear clunking around. I go up. Elijah and Caleb, one saying to the other, he fell on me off his bed on purpose. And I'm like, it's 2 in the morning. Do you guys have something wrong with your brains? And what I realized is that's just something hardwired into what boys are like. Boys are stupid. Okay? Boys are not very wise. They don't have a long view of the future. They don't understand consequences. Boys are completely lost in the moment. They have no idea what happens next. They can't control themselves unless someone controls them. I'm talking about boys. You men are like, hey, if it still applies to you, let's grow together. You know? But I'm talking about boys, okay? So don't get insulted, man. Um, Girls, I don't know what it is. There's some, and so we're talking about the nature of a thing. We think God sometimes acts good. He sometimes acts loving, but that's not actually true. What the Bible declares over and over is that there is this one inescapable truth. God will always be good and God will always be loving no matter what. Now, when you hear a phrase like that, how do you process? How do you receive it? How do you decide how you're going to respond to words like that? Here's how most of us, I think, analyze the whole thing. Well, okay, this preacher is up there going, God is good. Sure. He's got a wife and kids at home, and he's got a steady income because of us, and he has a house, and, and he's so good looking. And so, of course, he's not going to complain, right? But in my life, maybe God isn't so good. And maybe God isn't so loving. And, and the way we determine whether God is good or not the way we determine whether God is loving or not is we start with our own circumstances and hold them up like a mirror and say, I'll determine whether God is good by looking at whether my life is good. But do you see how completely backwards that is? 
If you have to see what God is like by looking at your life, you have then become God. God is no longer free to define himself because you only define him by the way you interpret him. That's like how marriages fall apart. When you talk to your spouse and go, you're like this. That's not true. I know that's how they make you feel. But the minute you declare something that's not true of another person, you're out of bounds. You're going to be in a fight. You can't build a relationship when you decide what another person is like based on how they make you feel. Every person has the right to define themselves, to say there are things that are true of me despite how you feel about it. And God is no different. God is good all the time. Sometimes he will permit us to pass through a season of difficulty. But that doesn't in any way change his inherent nature. Any more than my loving my kids is threatened by the fact that I won't give them chocolate for breakfast. Do you understand that they, they, may, they may perceive me as the most unjust? You know, Johnny's dad got him a Porsche on his 16th birthday. Why can't you? I hate you. I can't. I'm not going to do that to you. Then you're the worst father. No, I'm not, you little punk. I'm actually a good father. Johnny's dad's a loser. I'm a good father. But I know you don't feel that way about me, but that doesn't make it untrue. It means that you haven't grown to a place where you can see it just yet. Here, here's, here's, I know you feel a little, some of you a little beat up by this line of reasoning. Uh, let me tell you a profound experience I had, and I'll close. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we were in Phoenix for John and Cindy's wedding. And uh, flying back, I got a visual treat to an, a very vivid experience. I knew there was a sermon illustration this summer because it was messing with me for the whole two weeks. And here's where I'm going to put it. Leaving Phoenix, you know, how many of you have been to Phoenix? I don't know why anyone would want to live there. It's just hot all the time, right? But we actually had a very nice spell of weather, the best weather I've ever experienced in Phoenix. Flying out of Phoenix, we are above the clouds, and it was just sunny and bright, and we were in such a good mood the whole flight back. And then, you know, you hear that, um, ladies and gentlemen, um, this is the captain speaking. We've begun our final descent into Chicago, and that's when everything changed. Because I looked out the window, and what I saw was something that looked like this. It was just clouds, like a carpet, right under us. And it was kind of like, oh, look, it's like we're flying over cotton candy and cotton balls. And it was so neat. It was so bright and perfectly blue above. But down below is this carpet of fluffy white goodness. And I was so happy. And then we started to break through the cloud layer. And it was all white. And, and all of a sudden, we dipped below the clouds. And it was like someone turned off the lights. And I saw something that looked more like this. That's Chicago, by the way, downtown. And what I realized was under the clouds, my mood instantly shifted. It was so visceral. It was like, whoa, what happened? I was really upset. I was like, what happened to the sunny day? And here's what I realized about that day, why that illustration was so powerful for me, was that the reality is, that every day is a bright and sunny day above the clouds. The, the sun doesn't, it's not like God goes, let's just dim this thing a little today, turn it down. A little. It's not like that. It's every day, the reality unchanging is somewhere up there is a bright and warm sun radiating all day long. But until we invented planes, we can never rise above the clouds which 
formed our ceiling, our canopy, to realize the truth that will always be there. And as I descended below the clouds, what I realized is, it doesn't mean that the sun's not there. I'm not like a child with object permanence issues. Oh, mommy's out of the room. Mommy disappeared. Mommy's, you know, it's not like that. I know mommy's still there, even though she lives in Libertyville and I live in Bartlett. I know my mommy is still there. Well, here's what I also know. I know that there are certain things that are always there, always true, even though something blocks my view of it. I know that we, many of us, live today under a layer of clouds that blocks the warmth and the light of the sun. And some days it's really hard to one. I remember a day when I was little, younger, innocent, when I felt the radiance of God all over me. I knew God was good. I sang those stupid songs you guys sing, and I believed them. Not so anymore. Oh, I've grown up. I've grown jaded. I, no, you haven't. You've just lived so long under the clouds that you're pale and pasty, and you've forgotten that there is sun, and someday you'll feel it and see it again. I know the clouds may block you from acknowledging the goodness of God, but here's the unshakable truth. Above the clouds in your life, it is always true that God is good and God loves you very much. You've got to bank on that because someday the clouds will, dis- will dissipate. They'll scatter. Once in a while, a hole will be punched in the cloud layer and you will see the light and the warmth streaming down. God never stops being good. Everything he does and everything he allows is out of the starting place that he is good. If we can't accept that, we will misinterpret 90% of what happens in our lives. And we will feel punished by things that don't need to weigh so much because we think this means God stopped being good to me. God stopped loving me. It's just not true. It's the same way in marriage. And I know that some marriages pass through a very long period of clouds. But the way we get back to it is to remind the couple, somewhere in there, the person who fell in love with you is still there. We're trying to push away enough of the clouds to remember what was true and is still true if we would just remember. I want to encourage you that if your life is going through a very, very difficult season. You're not going to find your way out by saying things about God that are not true. In fact, you will find your hope by saying these very words. God, even now, even in this, you are good and your love endures forever. Help me to be patient until the day when the sun breaks through the clouds again. Until that day, I will not doubt. Help me to believe. That is where hope springs from. And I want to offer that to you as God's encouragement, as a gift to you. Don't give up because the clouds are blocking the sun. Let me close with just this one last verse from 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And in the New Living Translation, here's what it says. No matter what happens, always be thankful, for this is God's will for you belong to Christ Jesus. Pray that God will give you the grace to be able to obey those words. Let me encourage you to bow with me just for a moment of prayer, and then we're going to do a little exercise together at the tables. Um, Don't worry, you're not going to have to do a lot of talking and revealing. Uh, We're going to encourage you to get to meet people, but uh, let's pray, and then I'm going to lead you into a short exercise, and then we're going to enjoy 
a couple more songs and a meal together, okay? Maybe as you sit here today, it's hard for you to come up with something to be thankful for. But I bet that if you pause long enough and reflect, there will be something worth thanking God for. And if you say, no, there is nothing, I think that would really grieve the heart of God who has been watching over you. It may not be what you want, but God is still present in your life even now. So if you're having a hard time finding reasons to be thankful, why don't you open your heart with me and let's say, God, change my perspective. I need to see a little differently. Help me to be thankful today. Bring to mind something that produces a response of real gratitude. If you are thankful and you're feeling blessed, this is a prayer I would encourage you to pray. Maybe you're feeling thankful because everything's going your way, but also pray to God, God, help me in this time of goodness to remember the things that are true of you so that should the times of leanness come, I will not abandon you. This blessing that you're experiencing now is meant to reinforce some things about God that are always going to be true, even when your road takes a very difficult turn. So you can pray then with me, God, don't let me be spoiled by the good times and forget you in the bad. But today, remind me how good you are. And don't ever let me forget it. Don't ever let me forget it. Let's just spend a couple minutes privately responding to God. And then I'll close this in prayer and lead us to an exercise. So God, we know how bad it feels when we sacrifice, when we are present for someone, and they just don't acknowledge it. They don't express gratitude at all. It grieves us because we want so badly to be there for them, to let them know, and they just can't see how often we must make you feel like that. So we begin today as a whole church family by pausing to say thank you for even the times we could not see you and did not acknowledge you. You were always there. You are still ever with us. It's one of those things you repeated dozens of times in your word, that you are with us. Jesus, even your name speaks to that. Emmanuel, God with us. And so we thank you that that has always been true. Even when we rebelled and ran and rejected you, you have always been there for us. And God, for many of us, we have experienced a long season of uninterrupted blessing and favor. Some of us, we have seen and tasted your goodness almost to the point of embarrassment. And yet we know, God, that difficult days are bound to come. Help us in the good times to learn who you are. And let that certainty carry us through the bad times. We love you, God, and we know that you love us. And we are thankful, deeply thankful for who you are and all that you have done in our lives. Be honored today as we 
celebrate our gratitude and make you the object of all our thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.